Acts chapter number two. Acts chapter number two tonight. I appreciate the song that uh, the lady sung. Um, I was yesterday. Brittany and I were talking, and I was uh, struggling through an issue in my life, and I told her that uh, basically the the Lord's going to work this out because I've been here before. You know, I've been here before. It's going to work out. I've been here before. And over and over and over again, he's been faithful. Amen. So now I don't know what you're going through tonight. And maybe just a word before the word. Whatever you're facing tonight, you've been there before. And the Lord's going to see you through it. You've been there before, haven't you? Been there before. The Lord's going to help you. He's faithful. He will provide. He will make a way. You might be backed up against the Red Sea. He'll split the thing wide open. Amen? You'll sing a song when you reach the other side. You've been here before. You're going to make it because the Lord. Amen? We've been here before. Acts chapter 2. Like always, this afternoon, I, I, on the way home, I was thinking, uh, I'm not like some of these uh, professional preachers. You know, they got their sermons lined up for weeks at a time. Uh, I, I, I never could do that. I, I'm not an evangelist either. I don't have like eight sermons that I can go somewhere new, and it's new to them, but you know, it's polished and refined. Um, I'm, I'm not that. Uh, so like it is a lot, I, I preached all that I knew. <laughs> There's almost, it's an interesting miracle that happens. It really is uh, that um, I don't know where to go again, you know, um, but the Lord provides, and well, I, this afternoon while I was uh, seeking God, and seeking a sermon and seeking God, um, I thought about what the Holy Spirit, how he guided us this morning. And I appreciate this morning service, don't you? Praise God for that. Um, so many answered prayers again. So many answered prayers we saw. It's incredible, isn't it? Praise the Lord. <laughs> it is incredible. It really is. The Lord hears and answers prayers uh, had a wonderful service this morning. Hated. We had some te- technical difficulties. Uh, Facebook couldn't get connected to Facebook. Um, but it must have been maybe just for us. Amen. Wonderful service. Uh, but I, I was I mentioned um, Peter's sermon Sunday morning, this, this morning, I believe. And so it, I, I began to think about it and and I avoided it, really, because I, I just want to make sure. Sometimes when, when God's leading me a direction um, in Scripture, I kind of, if I, I'm paranoid. Is it me? Is it the Lord? So I kind of, I kind of avoid it, avoid it, avoid it, where it's, it's so obvious to me. I'm trying to take myself out of the equation. So, so tonight, we're going to uh, consider Acts chapter number 2. And specifically, in Acts chapter 2, the sermon that the Apostle Peter preached the day of Pentecost. And it is, a, it is a master class of preaching. It is, I think, from, from just studying it this afternoon, it, it, is, it is how one should preach. It, it is an example of preaching. It, it, it is a, a masterpiece of the Holy Spirit preaching through the Apostle. So in Acts chapter 2, just for some context, you know at the beginning of the chapter, they were in the upper room. Uh, Verse 2, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind. It filled the house. Uh, Verse 3, there was not only a 
not only an obvious uh, move of God through His Spirit, but there was a visual, a visual um, move of God. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as unto fire. Verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh, verse number 9 um, Verse number five, it says, uh, There were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven, because the Feast of Pentecost was there. There's a lot of different nationalities there. And the multitude came, and they were amazed and confounded because they heard them speak in their own language. So God's Spirit filled the disciples, and they began to speak in languages of the nations where these people were from. Verse 7, they were all amazed and saying one to another, Behold, are not all these, but behold, are not all these which speak Galileans. So they're like amazed. Like how do they know, how do they speak the Ethiopian language? How do they know, how do they know? Um, Because verse number 9 through uh, verse number 11 speaks of all the different tongues. And they began to praise God for the wonderful works of God. But in verse number 14, verse 13 rather, um, some people mocked him and said, these men are drunk. These men are full of new wine. Uh, Peter took offense to that, obviously, or wanted to set the record straight. In verse 14, Peter's standing up with the 11. And that's, that's, I think that's cool. I think that's awesome. Think about that. Peter stands and all the 11 stand with Peter. Think about the, the dramatic scene that's taking place. So the apostles, the disciples stand up to their feet and Peter in verse 15 says, these, these men are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it's about the third hour of the day. Like, it's too early to start drinking, and that's what he was saying. They're not, they're not drunk. But he says in verse 16, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So this is, this is Scripture being fulfilled. And we'll skip some verses here, but this is God's Spirit being poured out on them in the last days, he says in verse number 17. And so, verse 21, Peter said, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is where I'd like for us to spend some time now. Verses 22, maybe through verse number 34. And I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to trust His leadership. I'm just going to trust His plan tonight, His timing, His wisdom, that God would show us some things that Peter is expounding and preaching how he is proving to these who are there, that Jesus died, was crucified, and arose again, and that he is the Christ, and you should repent and believe on him. So verse 22, Peter says, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. So Peter begins with what they already know. That's that's how he begins the sermon. So he plays on their wisdom. He's saying, listen, I'm telling you what you guys already know. And and he's saying to them that you know Jesus of Nazareth, so they know who he's talking about. He's speaking about Christ. He's speaking about a town. They know, and he says, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. So Peter's like, you've heard about all these things. You know about it which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. So he starts the sermon from a place, a position of knowledge. He tells them what they already know. It's like if I told you, hey, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody, you go, amen, that's right, isn't it? That's right. 
If, if I told you that is, Paul said, I found a law that in my flesh is no good thing, you'd say, yeah, that is absolutely right. So Peter, he springs from what they already know. So then in verse number 23, he says, Him being delivered, speaking of Christ, by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. So what he's saying is, everything that you know has went according to plan. There is a, a higher power involved than what you've witnessed. That's what he's saying. There is, an, there is a sovereign providential plan that is outside of your control. You've observed something, and what you've observed is a plan from God. So verse 23, he says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So Peter just gets right to it. He says, the man that you observed doing miracles and works that you know about, you have taken with wicked hands and have crucified and slain. So here's a preacher that he don't beat around the bush, does he? Here's a preacher who says, thou art the one who's done it. Here's a preacher that stands up and he don't go, ah, oh, you know, uh, you know, you all are kind of responsible in a way. No, he don't do that. He says, you all, with wicked hands, have taken him and crucified him and slain. And the thought is, he's still at Jerusalem, remember. So Peter, being full of the Holy Spirit, his life has been changed because he saw a risen Christ. He tarried at Jerusalem, waiting on the power that Christ promised him would be a dude from on high. And when that power comes, the first thing that God wants us to know is that you all have crucified Jesus with wicked hands. So God immediately starts with the issue, don't he? Immediately. So Peter, being full of spirit, he once was scared and afraid, remember from this morning's sermon, and now he's standing up with the 11. And they're all standing up with him, side by side together. They're all going, amen, Peter, that's right. Philip goes, amen, preach it, Peter. Matthew says, amen, yes, that's the truth. You see how it's working here? James says, amen, now that's right, you all did. And they're standing up together, and Peter has says that you all crucified Jesus. Now it's possible, because they're at Jerusalem, a month past the event, that the same people who said crucifying, crucifying before Pilate are the same witnesses to this sermon that Jesus is preaching, that Peter is preaching. So the same crowd that said crucifying, crucifying, Peter standing up and saying, you all have crucified him with wicked hands. That's a bold thing to say, isn't it? You all murdered him. That's what he's saying. You all, did, you all took him and laid him on a cross and drove nails in his hands and his feet. You all handed him over. But listen, you think you did it, but it was the determinate counsel of God. And God had a plan. You all thought you were in charge of him, but you really wasn't. But you all were responsible for it. You did it. But God used you. And God had his son laid as a sacrifice for sin. But you all are responsible. You say, how can that be? All of us are responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. Say amen. All of us are. We are responsible for his death. Not, our, not his sins, but our sins. And so Peter made a bold claim. You all crucified Jesus. Now look at verse number 24. So verses 23 through 23, Peter, he, he says, what, he's speaking about what they already know, and then he, he 
he, he, can, he, he presents to them what they're responsible for, but then verses 24 through 29, he wants them... He wants them to know what they need to know. So he starts on what they already know. You saw him do these things. You saw him crucified. You saw him perform miracles. But here's what you need to know. Verse 24. Whom God hath raised, has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. So for the first time, this crowd is hearing that you all crucified Jesus, but he's alive. You all crucified Christ, but he arose from the dead. So the message of the New Testament church is Christ crucified and him resurrected. So Peter says God raised up Jesus from death because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. And I think there's a spiritual sarcasm here that you all killed him, but you couldn't. You all crucified him, but he ain't dead. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> you all tried to stop him, but he resurrected from the dead. You all buried him, but he walked out of the tomb. He bled out in your presence, but he lives forevermore. Now, that, think about that. So, Peter says you killed him, and then Peter says, but the one you killed is alive. That's, that in itself would be terrifying, wouldn't it? If you believe that to be the truth, and it is true. So, now they're, they're starting to feel responsible now. Peter said, the one you killed came back from the dead. Uh-oh. The one you killed is alive. Uh-oh. Really? Yes. So then he begins to prove it. And here's why you should believe it, Peter says. So you crucified him, God brought him back to life. That is convicting and condemning, isn't it? You killed him, but he's alive. Now look at verse 25. Now, now Peter begins this, this sermon now about why they should believe it. And Peter speaketh concerning him, concerning of Christ. Now he's quoting a text from Psalms. We're going to turn there in a moment. David, for David speaketh concerning him, speaking of Christ, verse 25, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, Peter is quoting from Psalm 16, and in Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, this passage is quoted, and in Psalms, it says, Peter is quoting what they know. You think, well, they don't know that. They, they come from an oral tradition. They have a great memory. They learned the Bible by memory. They learned, when they were little kids, they went to the synagogue, and they memorized Scripture mentally. They knew what Peter was talking about. And Peter says, For David, verse 25, speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because, verse 27, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. What that means, verse 27, Thou wilt not leave my soul in the grave... Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. So Peter is quoting Psalms chapter 16, and in verse number 10, David says, A thousand years before Christ ascended, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell or the grave, 
neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And what Peter is saying, it's been prophesied that the Messiah will go into the grave and he won't rot. He'll go in the grave and he won't decompose. He won't see corruption. The Messiah will die, but he won't rot. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Verse 11 of Psalm 16, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there shall be pleasures forevermore. So Peter says, this Christ who you crucified is the one that the David, the prophet, the king, said they're going to bury him and he will not rot because he will what? Resurrect from the dead. Paul uses the same passage from Psalm 16 in another sermon in Acts chapter 13. So the New Testament is quoting Old Testament scripture and it's saying, hey, this is supposed to happen. This is the way it's going to be because they're going to bury the Messiah. They're going to bury him, but he won't stay there. He won't rot. He won't decompose. His body won't see corruption. He will not be left in the grave because he will be resurrected from the dead. And Peter's saying, this is what happened. You buried him and God raised him from the dead and the Old Testament scriptures fulfilled in Christ. He will not suffer the Holy One to see corruption. He will not leave his soul in the grave. He will not rot. And so for anybody that thinks, anybody in the crowd that day might have thought, well, you're, that's David's talking about himself. That's what they were thinking. David's quoting about himself. So then Peter says in verse 29, he says, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. So he knows this. Peter knows that's what they're thinking. That he is both dead, Peter says. David's dead and is buried and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. What is Peter saying? David is in the grave right now. David is dead and his body has seen corruption. David is dead and he's rotten. David is dead and he's bones. David's in the tomb and he didn't come out of the tomb. David went to the grave, and David rotted in the tomb. His flesh saw corruption. He left him in the grave. So Peter's saying, it's not David. I know David said it, but we're not talking about David. And then Peter says, Therefore being a prophet, and knowing in verse 30, and knowing that God hath sworn an oath unto him. Now what's Peter talking about? He's speaking about the prophecy in 2 Samuel chapter number 7, where Nathan the prophet says this about David, and when thy days be fulfilled, verse 12, 2 Samuel 7, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and he will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He's speaking about Christ. It's called the Davianic Covenant. Verse 14, I will be his father, he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, and with the stripes of the children of men, speaking about his death. If Christ has sinned upon him, I I'll chasten him, and I will do what? I will chasten him with the rod of men. He will be punished through men. If there's sin on him, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children. With the stripes of the children of men, what does that mean? By his stripes we are healed. 
by the stripes of children of men. What does that mean? Pilate said, scourge him. What does that mean? You see what Peter's saying? This, this Christ who you saw do miracles and wonders and works, you crucified him and they buried him. And David prophesied that his flesh would not see corruption because he prefaced that statement by saying whom God raised him from the dead. And to prove the Old Testament prophecy, he brings Psalms chapter 16 into it and he says he's no longer dead, he's not rotting in the grave, and it can't be David because David's tomb was with us on this to present day. And we can go visit his tomb. So who's he talking about? What's Peter doing? He's earnestly contending for the faith. Here's what's happening to the people. Wait a minute. So then, then Peter says, verse 30, Oh, David's a prophet too. Therefore being a prophet, excuse me, Nathan, and knowing that God hath sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins through David, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. What's Peter saying now? You all do know a Messiah is coming from David. You do know a Messiah is coming from his line. You know, you agree. They go, yeah, I believe that. that this is the Messiah. And you know that David spoke that he would not leave his body in the grave. This is the Messiah. If there is a Messiah come through David, then who is he? If David's still in the tomb, it must be the one who arose from the dead. It has to be him. It's not David. It has to be him. That he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. So if David says, I, if David says through prophecy, Psalm 16, thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou see, suffer thy holy one to see corruption, and David's still in the tomb, and he saw corruption in his flesh, he rotted in the grave, and you take the prophecy of 2 Samuel chapter 7 where Nathan said of his kingdom will be no end and there's going to come one after him who will be chastened by the stripes of men. What is Peter doing? What is the Holy Spirit doing? It's saying this, Hello, this Christ through the determinate counsel of God was crucified and God raised him up from the dead. He's the Messiah. That's what Peter's arguing. This is preaching He's expounding. It's expository. He's not entertaining. He's reasoning with Scripture through the full of the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm sure at the beginning of it, people really wasn't listening because they were impressed by what's happening. And Peter with the eleven stands up and he preaches a sermon to them through Scripture full of God's Holy Spirit, not to entertain them, but to convince them of the truth of the gospel by the Word of God. That's what's happening here. That's what's taking place. And let me say that's what's taking place right now. And that's what's taking place this morning. And that's what preaching is. Lord willing, let it be through Scripture, reason, contending, arguing, presenting evidence that holds us accountable to the truth. So let's continue the sermon. So he's not in the grave. It can't be David because David's in the grave. Verse 31 of Acts 2. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Verse 32. This Jesus hath God raised up. So now we're, Peter says, this Jesus hath God raised up. Then he gives this moment of evidence. Wherefore, we are all witnesses. 
So Peter, he's saying this, not only is 2 Samuel chapter 7 speaking of a Messiah that's coming through David's line, Psalms chapter 16 gives a prophetic test of who the Messiah is going to be. It's going to be the one who will be buried and arise from the dead. This Jesus, who we can trace his lineage through what? All the way to King David. This Jesus, who is not left in the grave, must be the Holy One. Neither will thou suffer thy Holy One. You see it? He's the Holy One. And then Peter says, not only do we have that, but I'm a witness to it. And so is my buddy Matthew. And so is Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas. Thomas, tell us your testimony. Yeah, I didn't believe it either. <laughs> I know what y'all are going through. I put my hand in his fist. I put my fist in his wound in his side. And I handled him. I touched his hands, the nail print scars in his hands. And I didn't believe it either. Yeah, let's get the two, boy, two guys on the road to Emmaus. Why don't you give a testimony? Yeah, I mean, he expounded to us beginning at Moses and all through scriptures that Christ must suffer these things and arise from the dead. And he broke bread with us and we realized that it is him, the risen Savior. Peter says, I'm a witness to these things. I'm putting myself in jeopardy right now. I'm standing before the people who crucified him. You all crucified him. You did it. But you crucified the Messiah from 2 Samuel chapter 7. You crucified the prophetic Lamb of God from Psalms chapter number 16. And God has raised him up from the dead. So what's happening to them now, the audience? Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Right? Boom, boom. Boom, boom. They're, they're trying to wiggle out of it. It's happening to them. Do you see what's happening? So verse 32. Wherefore, we all are witnesses. Then he presents another argument in verse 33. He says, therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted. That, that's, a, that's a new... That's a new in, he, he, he slid something else in. So that means Peter's saying he arose and he ascended. That's what he means. So Peter is presenting a risen, crucified, and resurrected Christ now at, at a position of high authority. So now Peter's inserting that the Christ who you crucified is the prophetic, messianic king that sits upon the throne of his father David, proven to be the Holy One of Israel, because he's not still in the tomb like David is. And then Peter says, oh yeah, by the way, verse 33, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted. He's exalted, the one you crucified. He's seated at the right hand of God. Hey, let me stop for here, right here for a second. The one you trust in is sitting at the right hand of authority and power. The, the Savior you're trusting in is sets upon the throne of his father David. The Savior you're trusting in is the actual legitimate fulfillment of prophecy, and he is not in the grave. And the Bible of the Old Testament says... Amen to the Christ of the New Testament, and that's the Christ you confess as the Lord of your life. Amen. That's the Christ. So Peter says he's at the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. So, verse 34 
And what's, what's Peter talking about there? He's saying, Jesus said, it's expedient I go to my Father that when I go, I'll send my comforter, and he will bring all things to your remembrance. What's happening to Peter right now? Things are coming to his remembrance as he preaches while he's full of the Holy Spirit. And this sermon is happening real time, and it's been what? It is coming, this sermon Peter's preaching in their ears, is coming through Christ who is seated at the right hand of Father on high, who you have crucified, and he's risen from the dead, and he's giving the promise of the Spirit from the Father, and this is what you're seeing, and this is what you're hearing. That's what he's saying. That's convicting, isn't it? You all are a part of something of God. That's what he's saying. Verse 33 again. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he hath shed forth this, this sermon, this truth, this gospel, which you now see and hear. But look at verse 34. To prove that, he also uses Scripture. To prove where Jesus is, he also uses Scripture. For David is not ascended into the heavens. David's not. So who is this? It's the Messiah, the promise, the Jews know who he's talking about. David is not ascended to the heavens, but he saith. David said himself, and let's just turn there, let's read it from the Old Testament. Psalms chapter 110, verse 1. And Peter quotes Psalms 110, verse 1. And we're going to read it from the, the original quote, Psalms 110. So Peter says, David is not the one in heaven. David is not the one at the right hand of the Father. Excuse me, David is not the one who's been exalted. Why? Because David said in Psalms 110 verse 1. Now notice the language here. The Lord said unto my Lord. Think about that. David said, the Lord said unto my Lord. He's speaking of Christ. David said, the Lord said unto my Lord, set thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Peter is saying, for David is not ascended to the heavens because, because of Psalms 119.1, but he saith himself. David said himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes, thy footstools. So what's, Peter's coming to the end of it now. He's saying, hey, the one you crucified is alive. He's the, he's the Messiah. He's, he's not in the tomb. God hath raised him up. It's impossible that he should be holding to death. Because he is the Holy One that will not see corruption, he will not rot. I'm glad Jesus ain't rotting in a tomb somewhere, ain't you? Since he is the Holy One that did not see corruption, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, above every name. We could take the testimony of the Apostle Paul that the name of Jesus every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. David said, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit here at the right hand of exalted power until I make thine enemies thy footstool. What is Peter saying? Hey, listen, the one who you crucified and is alive again, he's coming back. Sit here, Father Jesus says, the Father says to Jesus, sit here until I make thy foes thy footstool. When all this is over, 
You will rule and reign in all power and all authority and all things will be subject unto you. Therefore, verse 36, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, Peter says, that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Notice the sermon. You killed him, he's alive. It's the prophecy of Psalm 16 and they have it memorized. And they are so wanting a Messiah because they're in political turmoil. They're expecting a political Messiah. And he quotes and he references 2 Samuel chapter 7 will, through from the line of David, there will be a kingdom which shall be no end. And it's that one that you killed and crucified and God has highly exalted him and he is Lord and he is Christ. And in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Oh, no. The one who was crucified is Lord of all. And he lives. And we're accountable to a living Savior who our sin killed him. And he lives. <laughs> what shall we do? Verse 37. What shall we do? And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles. So if we can imagine it, they're running to not only to Peter, but to Matthew and Bartholomew and Thomas and Andrew. What shall we do? They ran to them. What shall we do? In verse 38, Peter said unto them, repent. <laughs> Notice the mercy of God. This is the determinate counsel of God. You killed him, God arose him, but repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the Holy Ghost. The promise is unto you and to your children, praise God, us, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And then in verse 40 he says, and I'm closing, so believe on him, repent, be baptized, turn from yourself, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. And they gladly received his word and were baptized. The same day there was added to them about 3,000 souls. That is a sermon full of the Holy Ghost of God arguing and pointing and showing and scripture and prophecy and reference and accountability and repent and get out of this world and turn to Jesus. You crucified him, but he's king, but he offers you salvation because he lives. He lives. Amen? Amen. I'm glad he's alive, aren't you? Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. What song are we going to sing, Bryson? Page 44. Page 44.